Again, thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, Tracy, you hit the nail on the head. The thing that you can do for me, if you appreciate my ministry, is to pray for me. Uh, this, actually this past year, even before the pandemic, helping lead the church through a transition is probably the most difficult year in my life um, in terms of ministry. But what a privilege it is to serve God. So no matter what gets thrown my way, it is still an incredible privilege to be able to um, open God's word and let it do its work. Um, and, and that's one of the wonderful privileges is to be uh, a pastor, a minister of the gospel. Uh, but yes, it's a difficult task. And um, when you pray for me, it, it definitely makes a difference. Sometimes when I'm not, you know, kind of worn out, uh, I get this extra burst of energy and I know it's somebody who's praying for me. So yes, continue to show your appreciation by prayer. Um, I mean, cookies are good too, but <laughs> prayer is even better, definitely is better. Um, but yeah, 2020 has been quite a year, hasn't it? Um, I mean, and it's three months of 2020 is gone. We get about this time of year, and every year we kind of get driven out of our gourd. Um, and, and I really should be mum about Halloween Aww. decorations. Lord, help us. <laughs> um, yeah, 2020 has been a, a crazy year, and, and you're probably thinking, you know, God, what are you doing in this? Uh, and, you know, the pandemic, there's been wildfires, riots, all sorts of things. And not only that, but I know there's many of you who are also going through personal struggles, health issues, um, financial issues, all sorts of struggles. And in these times, we often ask God, what are you doing? What are you up to, God? But what if the answer to that mystery of, you know, God, what are you up to, is not so much figuring out what are you doing, God, or why are you doing this, but answering the question of who? Who? Who are you in God? Because when we realize who we are in Christ, then no matter what comes our way, we realize that, um, that God has a plan and that we are his beloved children. And that's really what this sermon series has been about. We started the sermon series on Ephesians, and the title of this sermon series is Who Are You? Because in the question of who we are in Christ, that's where many of the mysteries get resolved. When I say mysteries, I mean the mysteries of God's plan, but also the mysteries of what God is doing. And it's not that we find out all the answers, we just have that sense that we can continue doing what we're called to do because who we are in God and who God is. Last week we looked about how uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul in chapter 2 was talking about who they were. Okay? That who were the Ephesians? They were dead in their sins, separated from God. Uh, and that not only that, by the fact that most of them were Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, they were separated from God's people, really without hope. That's who they were. But then Christ came and brought them into fellowship with God, removed their sins, brought them into the family of God. And that he's brought them 
into his people, his plan, to the point that now they have a new identity as citizens of God's kingdom, as family members of God, and that they were being built up together to be God's temple. And that people all over the world would be a part of this new creation temple where the Spirit of God would dwell in the people of God. And the Apostle Paul, he wants to have the Ephesians continue to grow in their identity, to understand who they are in God. And so he begins to talk about how he's praying for them again. And I really appreciate uh, Fred and Wibby how that, that song, the prelude, it combined the prayer that the Apostle Paul had in chapter 1 and the prayer in chapter 3. Twice, Paul talks about how he's praying for the Ephesians, and in both times, he's praying that they would understand their identity in Christ. And Paul wants them to step into the fullness of that. So he begins to describe his prayer again in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he goes into verse 2, and he does what's called a digression. Okay? And a digression is uh, sometimes we do these things uh, unintentionally, but they're actually a, a rhetorical device in Greek and, and a literary device in Greek where you're going down one direction, but then you, you, you digress. You take a, a short side note to describe something before you go back. Now, I find these things very interesting. You might be thinking, that's boring. I don't even know what that is, but, um, but I won't take any more time digressing on digressions. Uh, but the reason we know this is that in chapter 1, I mean in verse 1, he says, for this reason I, Paul, and then down in verse 14, he goes, for this reason. So in other words, that part in the middle, that's a digression, and that's why when you pay attention to the whole, um, you know, the whole chapter, and not just yank verses out of context, you start to see, wow, look what Paul's doing. He actually was doing something, and then he's like, no, I'm going to describe something else before I go on to my prayers. And the thing he describes is that he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, he probably realizes, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm just talking about me being a prisoner. And in chapter 1 and 2 of Ephesians, I've really laid out all the blessings and the victory and the power that we have in Jesus Christ, that he is raised up with God and seated at God's right hand. And so perhaps there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance here where his readers may be thinking, well, wait a minute, if Jesus is high and lifted up and exalted, how is it that you're in prison, Paul? And what does that mean? What does it mean that you're in prison when you just told us Jesus reigns, God has a plan? And yet the apostle to the Gentiles is in prison? How does that work? Well, I think that's why Paul goes into this digression. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 is this digression. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery has been made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which has not been made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, 
members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, his grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul here, he may be imprisoned, but the gospel is not hindered. Uh, and Christ does indeed rule. God's plan is being fulfilled despite Paul's situation. The plan of God, it unfolds in ways that we humans, we don't often understand unless God reveals it. And that's what's meant by the word mystery in the New Testament. It's not something that we can never know. Rather, it means that something that's unknown that God eventually reveals. And here, the Apostle Paul says, listen, Ephesians, you are experiencing something, a revelation, where before this, we didn't understand that God was actually going global, that yes, he worked in the Jewish people, appeared to Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob, and then Moses, and was working through the people of Israel, but now it's been revealed through Christ that God is bringing his redemption worldwide, that there was some sort of mystery in, in, in that, how would God do this? How would he bring redemption to the ends of the earth? Well, a lot of that was revealed in Christ. And, and Paul is saying that, that he's called to be a part of that. That actually he is helping be a part of that mystery going worldwide. That revelation going worldwide as he is the apostle to the Gentiles. And he is bringing the good news of Jesus and redemption through his blood to all, all parts of the Roman Empire. So he's a part of that. He's the chief apostle in that. And the promises of the end time temple where God would, would renew and dwell with his people, that's not limited to Israel. Again, it's gone worldwide. And those who were not a part of all that are now a part of it, and part of it is through Paul's ministry. And so while many promises in the Old Testament were, were given about, yeah, God's going to restore the world and all of this, exactly how that was going to look and how he was going to do it, that would remain somewhat of a mystery. But now, by God's plan, uh, it is being revealed. And, and this is so much larger and more intricate than we can fathom. You know, often we can't see uh, how God works until after the fact. But Paul, his part of, of his ministry was proclaiming that, no, God's plan is unfolding, and it's unfolding well, and it's unfolding just like he planned, even though I'm in prison. And in fact, because I'm in prison, it's advancing that plan in ways that I can't fathom and that maybe you can't fathom. 
But he describes this connection between the mystery, his calling, and it all being a part of God's plan uh, in verse uh, 6. First of all, he talks about what the mystery is. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. So again, that mystery that's being revealed, God's redemption's going worldwide, and Paul's a part of that because his ministry, verse 9, is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So again, things might not seem great. Paul's in prison, and the Ephesians, as all churches at that time, were going through some heavy persecution. Not to mention, in those days, it was hard just to survive. A lot of people um, you know, lived under the poverty uh, line. And there's always disease and starvation. But God's plan is bigger than our situation. I think that's what Paul's emphasizing to the church in Ephesus. That's why he's about to pray for them, that they would step into their identity, because no matter what happens with the Apostle Paul, God's plan is still being realized and advanced. If they would only understand who they are in God. And not only that, but God's plan is not only bigger than our situation, God often works, and we often say God works in mysterious ways. Well, one of those mysterious ways that God has revealed the way he works is that his power is often manifested in weakness. And again, that blows our mind. That is a mystery, because normally if we want things done, what do we do? We get power. We collect power and then crush our enemies. Well, God brought redemption to the world. He reigned, Christ reigned in the world, not by crushing his enemies, but by dying for his enemies. That his power, and God's, the mystery of God's power, the mystery of redemption, is that Christ achieves that through weakness, by dying on the cross, through death and suffering. That's how Christ reigns, and that's a part of the mystery of God. That when, we were, when you look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of past, most of the passages that talk about God's redemption. If it does go worldwide, it gives that idea of, no, God is, is powerful and he's going to crush his enemies. And yes, when Christ returns, he will come as a victorious judge and conqueror. But when he comes the first time, he says that he's coming um, humble and dying on a cross. So, Paul's imprisonment is actually a part of that pattern. A part of that pattern of God's plan and his purposes advancing through weakness. So yes, Paul is in prison, but that's a part of God advancing his kingdom in ways that the world would say is weak, the world would say is defeat. And that's why, again, verse 13, he says, So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is to your glory. Again, God prefers to use weak instruments to conquer his enemies. And that's why Paul digresses. That's why he went through that big digression and said, Hey, don't lose heart. I'm in prison, but don't lose heart because God's plan is so much bigger than me. Even which, again, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's been used in an amazing way. But yet God's plan is bigger than him. 
And he says, then instead, I'm praying that God's kingdom would continue through you. And then with that, he continues on what he was going to pray. He goes from his digression to his prayer. All right, so in verse 14, say, for this reason, again, remember, he's like, for this reason, and then he went off. Now he's going back to his prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, just as I said in chapter 1, if we were to actually pray this for ourselves and for one another, we would see revival in our church and in our valley. And notice, so these prayers, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and notice it focuses on what God would do on the inside. On the inside of the Ephesians. The internal transformation that comes from being a new creation, that comes from stepping into the new identity that we have in Christ. That's his prayer. So many times when we are stuck in a difficult situation, again, Paul's in prison, we pray that God would transform our circumstances. But Paul prays that he would transform hearts. That is what our approach has to be. So yeah, 2020 has been crazy. There's been lots of difficulty. Again, not just worldwide, there's more difficulty to come, but many of you in your personal lives, financially, health-wise, you've been going through difficulty. And, and often, it's normal, and I do it too. We ask God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? But here, the Apostle Paul gives us an answer to that mystery, and that is, no, just step into who you are. Ask God to transform who you are in him. So that's what the prayer goes. I mean, look at this in verse 16. It says, Paul says, I, I pray that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, the spirit had already begun his work in the Ephesians. But now Paul desires that they be renewed in the inner person. And then he goes into 17, and he intercedes further that the Ephesians... Would, that Christ would, would dwell in their hearts through faith. So that, that you'd be you know, strengthened in your inner man, that you would be, Christ would dwell in your hearts. Again, he's, he's praying that God would take up residence. He would become more and more um, of a reality in their hearts. And when you think back to Ephesians chapter 2, I know you're like, Pastor Joe, that was last week's sermon. I don't even remember that. I know, I don't either. But let's try to remember that, that as a part of their redeemed identity, one of the things that he said is that they, both Gentiles and Jews, were being built into a holy temple of the Lord who would dwell in them by the power of the Spirit. Well, along those lines, now look, he's praying that the Spirit would strengthen them in the inner man. 
and that Jesus would dwell in their hearts. When God made covenants with the people of Israel, it was the primary thing about the covenant was that God was going to be present with them. That he was making an agreement, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and I'll dwell with you. So yeah, build this tabernacle, that's where how I'm going to dwell with you. Build this uh, temple, that's how I'm going to dwell with you. But there was also this time that was coming where God was said to dwell with his people in a new and powerful and an intense and intimate way. And now the mystery has been revealed that the, the person of the, uh, the Father and the, the Son and the person of the Spirit will dwell in the Ephesians and in, in, in us. That God would be so close that he would be dwelling in us. We would be his new temple, both Jews and Gentiles, all over the world. Wherever people gathered in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God would show up. He'd manifest his presence in us and through us. That's the mystery that's being revealed. And so Paul says, yeah, I might be in prison. Things might not be going so great. But step into who you are. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence in us. And if God is with us, then no matter what difficulty we go through, no matter who gets taken out, Paul's getting taken out. But Paul says, no, no, I'm still praying that you just step into your identity because if you keep walking in who you are, if God keeps showing up when you gather, then whether Paul's in prison or he's free, they would be fulfilling all that God meant for them. Because look, he, he prays that they would understand with a sense of all time what is the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love. It's funny, in verse 19, he, he says, I pray that you would know Christ's love even though it surpasses knowledge. It's almost like I'm just praying that you'd know this love, but I, I understand that it surpasses knowledge. You can't fully know it, but I'm praying that you'll grow in knowing it. And that verse 19 at the end, that the love surpasses knowledge because it's a part of the fullness of God. It says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, the fullness of his love, the fullness of his plan, the fullness of his presence. Because you see, ultimately, we get the fullness of God, not because we know more or anything like that, but because we experience God's presence more. And that is a part of the plan. That's a part of the mystery, is that God gives himself to us. So that as we, both individually and collectively, as an individual, we, we pray that God would transform us and that our inner being would be strengthened by the Spirit and Christ would dwell in us uh, again individually. We'd be transformed as individual Christians, but also God's plan is corporate. And that we would also be transformed and experience God's presence as a body of believers. Because again, what was... A part of that mystery revealed is that the end time temple, the temple where uh, the spirit would be flowing and there would be renewal throughout the earth, we're a part of the, of the fulfillment of that. That mystery is being revealed. And again, as, as Ellie mentioned in the children's sermon, that we all have a part to play in that. And that's the amazing truth. And the Apostle Paul, he had a huge part in that. But he also says, but, but don't get me wrong. It's so much bigger than me. That even though I'm in prison, if you step into who you are, 
then all the trouble that comes our way, ultimately it will seem like, ah, not too big for God, because God is so much bigger. And so as we look at this scripture, again, I think one of the ways that we can apply it right away is simply to pray that God would transform us. He would transform that we would pray for, and, and you know, and I appreciate so much about Chris saying, yeah, pray for me. Pray this for me. Pray that God would transform me, that he would strengthen my inner being through the Spirit. Pray that for one another. Again, so many times we get, and we can also pray that God would change our circumstances. Of course, we can pray that, you know, and we do. We pray that God would bring healing, that he would uh, bring, you know, vaccines and stuff for this pandemic. But we have to pray, if we want to pray biblically, even more so, that God would transform us. Even before, or whatever he does in terms of transforming the situation, that we more even prefer that he would transform us. So that even in the midst of difficulty, God's mystery would be revealed. The mystery of weakness. God using weakness to bring victory. Again, this should not surprise us. If we're Christians, we know. How did God save us? How did God win the victory? Through the cross. So we shouldn't be surprised that often in our situations, when we feel the weakest, when we feel the lowest, when we feel like our situation is overwhelming, that is when we open ourselves up to God and say, God, transform me. Transform this, um, this situation in your plan and for your plan. So immediately, we can pray this. We can pray chapter 1. We can pray chapter 3. And so when things are difficult, don't let that fool you into thinking that God has somehow lost control or that God's plan is somehow being thwarted. It, it may be a mystery to us right now. Wait, how, God, how are you doing this? What are you doing? Where are you? But if we step into instead who we are in Christ and who God is, that's when, yeah, we're not going to have all the answers to all the mysteries, but the primary mystery of God, who, who am I? That's an answer that he's already given us, and that's an answer he wants us to step into. So how can you step into that truth today of who you are in Christ? There's prayer, there's scripture. There's so many ways where you basically put yourself before God and say, God, I want you to transform me into all that you've meant for me to be from time immemorial. You had a plan for me. You set me apart as your child. And even though I don't know all the answers, I don't know why or how, God, help me to be transformed more today to be like your child. And then watch what he does. Because he'll put things in your path. He may even, and I, and I warn you, but it's worth it, he may even bring you to a place of even further weakness. But in that place of further weakness, 
he will show his strength. He will reveal his power in you in an amazing way that will transform you from glory to glory. Heavenly Father, we put ourselves before you and pray that you would transform us. Lord, that you would strengthen us by your spirit in the inner being. And that would Christ would dwell in us. And that together we would be transformed into your people, into your temple. And Lord, we even think about those across the globe. Lord, I personally think of my friends in Liberia and India and Ukraine and Lord, you've brought us together as a worldwide temple of your glory, manifested here in South Hadley, but all over the world. Transform us, Lord. Bring us, help us to step into who you've made us to be. Do that in a powerful way. Today, tomorrow, the weeks and months ahead. Show us how your strength in our weakness. Lord, continue to reveal the mysteries of, of how you work through the cross and how you're working worldwide to bring yourself glory and to bring us goodness. We thank you and we pray that we would step in our, into that identity in the days and weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.